cleansing and restoration. That is the chapters here, mostly 13 through 15. We're picking up on 12 where we left off. And that, again, applies to the actual cleansing and restoration as well. As we will see in chapter 12, it's about the cleansing after a childbirth. And again, much of this is not about the sin. It is about cleanliness or cleansing from things that, uh, the, uh, the, that the Lord wanted to prevent the, his people from uh, becoming a hygiene challenge. But also, it again, it points everything back to Jesus and the Messiah and what he will do for us in cleansing us from our sins and restoring us in a relationship with God. Remember, God graciously made provision for the cleansing and restoration for anyone who became defiled. Anyone who became defiled, God made a way to be cleansed and restored to be able to come back, even through ceremonially, come back into a closeness and relationship with worshiping God in the temple at the, or at the uh, tabernacle, but also back into fellowship with the brothers and sisters. There needs to be a diagnosis that takes place, as we will see through these chapters tonight, not only diagnosed what's wrong or what's happening, but to define what's the treatment, but more importantly, the cleansing of this infectious skin, skin diseases that we will see, especially in chapters 13 through 15. For routine situations of uncleanliness, the normal procedure that we see here in the scriptures was for people to wash themselves using special water purification water that was provided and kept outside of the camp and used for ceremonial cleansing and their clothing had to be cleaned as well to, and remained outside of the camp until that evening as we saw to be able to come back in in chapter 11. We will see that also through these chapters tonight. But there was an additional steps that needed to be taken where, uh, where needed and in these cases, in Leviticus chapter 12, there was additional steps that need to be taken in cases of after childbirth. And in, verse, in chapters 13 through, uh, 13 through 15, the presence of infectious sores or diseases, and some cases they believe referring to mold or mold or mildew issues in the camp that need to be prevented or taken care of to keep people from uh, being healthy. So here in cleansing after the childbirth in Leviticus chapter 12, we see that the ceremonial impurity happens after giving birth. And when a male child is born, we see here in verse 4 that then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel saying, If a woman has conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. As in the days of her customary impurity, she shall be unclean, and on the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised, and she shall then continue in the blood of her purification thirty-three days. She shall not touch any hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifications are fulfilled." 
So very clear directions that after she's had a child, if it was a boy child, that child she had to stay is considered unclean for seven days. The eighth day, that child got circumcised. And from that point on, then she had to go through a purification process, heal and, and any uh, um, excretions or anything else, of blood or anything that was going to take place. It was a 33-day process for her to be able to be ceremonial clean to be able to come back into fellowship, come back to worship at the tabernacle and those such as that. Now when the child was then circumcised on the eighth day, the ceremonial uncleanliness uh, lasting an additional 33 days or a total of 40 days she had to stay ceremonially impure, uh, impurity. And then what would happen is this ritual purification for the mother needed to take place before she could go back to normal life in the home and in the camp. Now, in the ancient days, when it came to the circumcision, other nations practiced all kinds of things around a birth of a child, including circumcision. But here, God made this a right to Abraham, if you remember, on a special mark of a covenant that he had with his people. And we see that uh, in Genesis chapter 17, verses 10 through 14, when we uh, studied that. But each male child became a child of the covenant when he was circumcised and named, that's when they named that child, on the eighth day after his birth. Now it was key here in these verses that she was, shall not touch or not touch any hallowed thing. A commandment, uh, a very a very specific command of time, of this impurity that she was not to do anything, to, uh, to touch anything that was a hallowed thing or set aside for God. That it was important that she paid attention what she, where she went, what she touched, and all of those kinds of things. Because in that, a man commanded to be fruitful and multiply was one thing. That was Genesis 1.28. A child is regarded as a gift from God, Psalm 127.3. We also see that a woman had many children were considered blessed, Psalm 128.3. So why do I say this? Is because here we see in the scriptures, here's these women having to be considered ceremonially impure for 40 days. And it's almost like you draw a conclusion saying... Well, is it worth having a child? Is it good to have a child? She's separated from the thing. How does she have to deal with this? Why doesn't the husband have to deal with these kinds of things? But that's why I give you these scriptures that it's not a negative to have a child in God's eyes. It's, it's the fact that he had set these up, not as a negative, but it's the fact that he needed to protect the woman, but protect the, the, the things of God, and he had to protect the people of God. And so he sits there, and we see in the, this childbearing uh, years of a, of a woman, it's, it's a command to be fruitful and multiply. That's what God's intended for the women to do this. Genesis 128, like I said. It's a blessing. Not only if you had more children than just one, if you had multiple children, you were very blessed. So this is not about a negative for women and a negative to have children whatsoever. The main thing you have to understand in these verses here is that the key understanding for this ceremony is to understand the idea of the original sin. As wonderful as a new baby is, God wanted to teach his people to remember that every birth takes place, another sinner is coming into the world. 
A sinner was brought into the world and the woman was here symbolically responsible for bringing a new sinner into this world. And so there's, a, there's many things that God teaches symbolically through the scriptures and connecting to the fact that we need to, to, to follow the commands and how to follow it according to his way so that these lessons would be taught from generation upon generation. We see in, in verse 5, when a female child is born, it says, but if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks as in her customary impurity, and she shall continue in the blood of her purification 66 days. So if you had a female or a, a girl baby, it was double the, the process of, of being time separated and, uh, and, 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 uh, from the rest of the camp and, as, as such. Not one week, but two weeks. Not 33 days, but 66 days. Again, the longer the period of ceremonial cleanliness for the birth of a daughter should not be understood as a penalty. Oh, see how negative they are for if you have a girl, how they look down on women. That is not the purpose of what God was teaching. That's how people in the world think. That's the people who are not saved or not, they don't understand the scripture. That's how you think, but that's not how God thinks. He wasn't penalizing the women for having a, a female a baby, but instead it's linked back to the things that God was trying to teach his people, symbolically responsible of understanding that the woman is bringing not only a baby, but a female baby into this world. And again, giving birth to a female, a mother brings a sinner into the world who brings still the possibility of other sinners into the world. So that you're having a female who's going to now be a mother at some point to have more children who bring sinners into the world. Again, it's symbolically that God is teaching through this process. Now we see in verses 6 and 7, we see the, what the sacrifice is required after having a child. When the days of her purifications are fulfilled, whether for a son or a daughter, doesn't matter, male or female, she shall bring to the priest a lamb of the first year as a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove as a sin offering into the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement at one minute, bring, bring her back in, in one minute with God. God for her, and she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who has born a male or female. So again, it's it's the standard is the same. It doesn't matter if it's male or female. You still had to bring a sacrifice. The priest still had to sacrifice that offering so that your the sin of the blood needed to be covered and to bring atonement, a one-ment with God for her back with God in that regards. Again, it's not sin to have a child, but again, God's teaching the purification process, following God's commandments, and restoring fellowship back with God since she has not been there for 33 days or 66 days. We see in verse 8, that if you were poor, there was an allowance there. She is not able to bring a lamb. They could bring two turtle doves and two young pigeons. And so we can see that God knew that not every family of Israel could afford a lamb. And so he made provisions of that. Again, that takes us back as a flashback into Luke chapter 2. Verse 22 through 24, it brings you back the fact that Jesus was born in a poor family. 
who had to come after having Jesus had to come, what did they bring? They brought the the poor offering, the, 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 the birds and not the lamb to the offering because Jesus, uh, those pair of ter- turtle doves that they brought, was brought in because they were a poor family, not a wealthy family. Now as we get into chapter 13, we're going to see the diagnosis of leprosy, Hansen's disease, we call it today in the modern world. Now let me tell you right up front the main points of these next couple of chapters and it's the linkage between leprosy and like sin because we see in the scripture leprosy is a form of a description of sin in someone's life. Let me give you those four things of the linkage so as we go through these you can see that and keep that in mind all the way through. First, leprosy began underneath the skin of the surface of the skin. You did not see it when it started. It was out of sight initially when someone catches leprosy. And it's no big deal. Someone thinks it's just a little rash maybe. It might be just a, I I must have hit something. Or maybe I got into the the grass or something and I've got something going on here. Something's weird. And you don't pay attention. But eventually this leprosy will spread aggressively And as it moves throughout the body, eventually causes the bones to soften. It causes the fingernails to decay and come off. It causes the teeth to recede because the bones of the jaw cannot retain those teeth. They lose the teeth because the gums start receding. And eventually, at the worst stage, nose, the pieces like the nose, because no circulation, starts falling off someone with leprosy. So again, leprosy starts so innocently underneath you do not see what is happening. It's a subtleness underneath the line of what's going on. But also, number two, like sin, leprosy destroys sensitivity. A person who is contacted or contracted leprosy would not be aware of the fact that this is all taking place. Something just seems weird. It's not until they drop something on their foot or hit their hand with a hammer of something that hits that would normally would retract you quickly in pain because you feel the pain. All of a sudden say, that didn't feel as bad as I thought it was going to be. My feet didn't, it's not throbbing, I'm not, it's not as much pain as I, what, what? I thought that was going to hurt me really bad. But eventually what happens, it brings to light that you have less sensitivity to the pain. Tragically, sin destroys sensitivity in one's life which at one time made you retract when you saw the sin or the temptation, you would quickly retract from it because you could tell. But eventually what's happened is sin has been smoldering underneath and no one could see the fact that there was sin in your camp. Nothing was going on. No one was going to surface. But eventually, just like the first one, sin start, leprosy starts under the skin, eventually goes deep enough, it will be revealed. Second one is sensitivity. At first you would go, no way I'm going to touch that sin. No, I'm not going to go back to sin. No, I don't want anything to do with the sin. But after a while, if you do not deal with it, it becomes less sensitive and you are more tolerant to the sin back into your life. 
The third comparison, like sin, leprosy was incurable. There was regulations concerning the cleansing of leprosy, we will see. They were never utilized. Why? Because with an exception of Naaman in the scripture, no one else was ever cleansed that we could see from leprosy until 1,500 years later when a rabbi from Nazareth shows up on the scene and Jesus heals the leper, as we see in the scripture. And then what does he tell the leper to do? The leper is like, let's rejoice, let me follow you. And he says, no, go see the priests and let them ceremonially what? Follow the regulations by the scriptures. It says to check you from head to toe to make sure you have nothing there. You have been literally cleansed so that they can do the ceremony that they have never had to do. They actually had to go back to the book and say, ooh, how did the, what did the book say? How we're supposed to deal with this here? You know what I'm saying? Jesus sent him back. Why? Because he wanted that man to be a testimony to the religious leaders that that man was healed by an incurable disease. And then that fourth one is like sin. Leprosy caused separation from people and their loved ones. When a person was affected with leprosy, he or she was sent away from the community to live in isolation and at best in a leper colony. And that is exactly what sin does. Sin will destroy relationships, will split families and break hearts of those around you. Now, Leviticus chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. We see here the instructions given to the priests for diagnosing leprosy and examining the leprosy. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When a man has on the skin of his body a swelling, a scab, or a bright spot, and it becomes and it becomes on the skin of his body like a leprous sore, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons the priests. So one of the responsibilities of the ministry. (laughs) I got something going on here. I'm not sure what it is. And I was like, you better go see the priest to take a look at it and just take a look at it. And at least he can diagnose this and see if this is something serious that is going to have to take something else, some serious actions, because it's kind of looking like it's leprosy. And the priest shall examine the sore on the skin of the body. That means he had to check that man's body from top to bottom. And when he checked the skin of his body and in the hair on the sore has returned, uh, returned white, the sore appears to be deeper than the skin of his body. It is a leprous sore. So now these things are not just a surface kind of an issue, but now you better go have someone give a second opinion and let the guy who is supposed to be in a position of the, uh, you know, to take a look at you because he's going to be responsible to have to make judgment for the sake of the community, sake of the family, sake. Let's have someone look at it, and make sure what's going on, and it's no longer under the surface. It's now bubbling up to the surface as a sore. Hair starts turning gray and and dying off and those kinds of issues. uh, And they need to do pronounce it. You're unclean now. 
or no, 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 let's just wait and let's see. And this is still kind of early. So they're kind of like a public health officer of today. They're to observe, to kind of diagnose, make it uh, if it's a disease that need to be concerned or not. That's going to have a community-wide effect issues, and if we need to isolate, you keep an eye on it and you know guard it. Those kinds of issues. Now, sometimes there could be a smallpox, or it could be measles, or it could be scarlet fever, and these things can also be like these things. That's why they have to keep an eye on them, because eventually these other things can heal themselves and get better, whereas leprosy would not, and that would determine what that blemish that they see on the person's skin and what that could uh, be long-term issues. Now, from a sin perspective, remember, the root of the problem of sin is deeper than the outer surface of the flesh. How do we know that? Well, at the diagnosis on the outside, you'd say, oh, he just got some attitude issues. Oh, he's just got some temper problems. Oh, you know, he's dealing with all kinds of stress. And you know how it is, you know, generation upon generation kinds of issues. You know, if you lived with his dad or his mom, you would have the same problem as a teenager. See, you laugh, you have all these kinds of rationalizations, but the problem is, is not a surface issue, but sin is a heart issue. We see that in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it that is the root of the sin a problem of our people's lives it's a heart issue it's not some surface thing that you can kind of wipe away and just little behavioral modifications and somehow that thing is going to take up care and everyone will be fine throw a little bit of medication in the, the in the mix and the person will be just fine no that doesn't solve the root of the problem the diagnosis is it's a heart issue and the heart needs to be healed and the only way a heart can be healed is being born again and giving their life to Jesus Christ and be forgiven. Amen? That is the only way to deal with sin. It's not a disease. Now we see in verses 9 through 44 of Leviticus where there's doing some more diagnosing of the leprosy. When the leprosy sore is on a person, then he shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall examine him. And then if you continue to go down, even right here, I'll draw a conclusion here, because the same verses there, all the way down to 14, are the same things. You're going to make sure you're looking from head to toe, you're looking over that body, you're looking over the body again, you're looking to see if it's active, you're seeing if these are fresh sores, or these are these are dried up sores, or these are things that, it could have been something else, like you got in poison and ivy and now you're doing better i mean you're doing all these kinds of diagnosis and examining but if you look at verse 14 of chapter 13 but when for all fresh appears on him he shall be unclean well if you notice the verse 13 just prior to that they had just declared him being clean so think this through here as you read those verses back later on. If you've read ahead, which I hope you did, you will notice you've got sores, you diagnose, it could be leprosy. Doesn't, we'll see how it plays out. We're going to watch this week by week. Let's see you come back and have another appointment a week from now. We're going to look at it again. Okay, we'll have another appointment. Like, we'll just book appointment. You come back and see me again as a priest. And everything looks, starts looking good. I think you're fine. I think you're clean. 
Really, priest, tell me it's clean. I think it's clean. We're really good here. I think I'm good. I can go back home now and let me go back and worship God. Okay, you can come back. But notice in verse 14, but if raw flesh appears, if the sores come back, if they come back again, you're going to be unclean. Why is that significant? I'll show you the connection here in a minute. And the priest shall examine the raw flesh and pronounce him unclean, for the raw flesh is unclean and it is leprosy. Or if the raw flesh changes and turns white again, it shall come to the priest, and the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the sore has turned white, verse 17, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. Who has the sore, he is clean. So it goes on and on all the way down. Even in verse 42, it talks and gets into the fact that you can have a bald head or a bald forehead and reddish-white sores start coming on. There's all kinds of examinations that are going on that can indicate there's something wrong called leprosy in that person's life. So as the priest examines these people, it's very clear in this section that it shows that the very specific rules for making very specific diagnosis of leprosy was very important in the society. The specific details given in so many different situations, there's multiple possibilities. You could not say it only applies to this one way. It could be multiple things. It would reveal itself as leprosy, and they needed to be watching them. This wasn't some guessing, okay, let, okay, fine, let's get another appointment. Come, have, come to my office, I'll take a look at you. Okay, that's fine. I, let's, let's guess it's not. No, you don't guess in this situation when you're in a kind of a situation as the camp of Israel, Israelites camping in the wilderness. You couldn't misdiagnose or just have a casual aspect of these things. You can't just say, oh, it's just a little bit of sin. Or it can't be just a little spot. These are serious things that they need to take place. Because it could make it worse if they don't do it well in regards to diagnosing. And, not, and so guessing was out the door. And leprosy was dealt with so seriously because it was such a horrible disease to catch. Because it was incurable. They knew they hadn't seen anything like this and be able to handle this anyway. So, but again, it's a dramatic picture of sin in people's lives. It's a spiritual operation in human beings that is taking place here. Because fresh eruptions where the things came back after being declared clean and they came back and resurfaced again, meaning that means he never was clean. Let me make the connection here. He was unclean. He had sinned. He lived a sinful life. It's there. It was part of his life. It was who he was. There was a, a, it appeared to be a changed life. You don't see it now. You don't see the bumps. You don't see the rash. You don't see the sores. You don't see the white hair. Everything seems to be that no longer was sin, leprosy, present. So you're looking at that person's life and saying, the person's clean. The person has been born again. Must be been clean from sin by God. But then we see here the connection that all of a sudden now we see 
fresh eruptions, issues that were supposed to have been taken care of and no longer in their life, now coming back in their life and is now being revealed that those bumps and sores and issues, sins, are now very obvious in their lives again. We so, the question is, if the person said they gave their life to Jesus Christ and it appeared that they are no longer habitually living that lifestyle, they no longer want to live that sinful life anymore, they are following Jesus, but then over time, there's something happens and that person who is truly born again does not habitually go back to the sin or continually desire or practice that sin. We see in 1 John 3, 6, they're saved. But something has inflicted them. They don't have the leprosy, but they have something that is causing some problems with the rash and can be dealt with. But if the person comes back and they go back to the old life and they practice the old life and desires that old life, then you have to question, were they ever saved? Because they're back to the old life. They're doing what they desire to do. I give you the analogy of this that Peter talks about in uh, 2 Peter 2.22. It's just like a sheep and a pig. A sheep and a pig both will absolutely at some point in their life find themselves in the mud. But the difference is, is the pig loves the mud. And has no problem wallowing around in the mud. It looks for the mud. It desires for the mud. And will do whatever it does and gets excited for the mud. But a sheep who falls into the mud does not like the mud. And is looking to try to get out and get clean once again. And doesn't want to stay in the mud. It may fall in the mud. And may, it may trip and get caught in the mud because of the, of the downpour of whatever is happening. But the sheep does not want to stay in the mud. That's the difference. You can clearly see the pig from the sheep. That is what we're seeing here. If they had leprosy, it seemed to go away, but it came right back. That means they did not have leprosy get cleansed from their, their life. The leprosy was always there. It just didn't appear for a period of time. Sin can be the same way in someone's life. You will desire for the old life more, and you always have, you don't want to, you got caught in the sin, you caught and it's ruined your life, but you want that life back, and once you got your life back, what do you do? You go right back to the sin that caused you to lose your life or almost lose everything. There's a difference in regards to true repentance or just sorrowful because you got caught in the sin. There is a difference. And that's between you and the Lord, you have to do that. We can only tell if you desire to be back in the mud 
<laughs> and play in the mud and be in the world and desires the things of the world and play and do whatever you like, you're like part of the world. Those are the things you have to look at uh, in regards to if you have leprosy still. Or been cleansed and restored. That's, that's the difference. Chapter 13, verses 45 and 46, we see the result of leprosy. What is the consequence of leprosy? We see now the leprosy on whom the sore is. His clothes shall be torn, his head bare, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, Unclean, unclean. He shall be unclean. All the days he has the sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean, and he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. There's a clear indication that once it's been diagnosed as leprosy and it's been confirmed, everything changed for that leper from that point on. Everything. They lived in a potential, potential, or the per, uh, perpetual state of mourning and perpetual state of public disgrace because they were required by law to let everyone know who comes within six feet of them unclean Unclean. You have to declare that you cannot come near me in regards to the state that I am in. They also lived in a very much a perpetual state of isolation. They shall dwell alone. And there is a very lonely life that they will live. And he is unclean and he shall be dwelled on alone like many Jews thought two things about lepers, that you are the walking dead. That's what they determined. There's a leper, he's a walking dead. It's only a matter of time. That's how they saw you. And you deserve this because there is some kind of punishment from God against you. And that is also what the, uh, many Jews thought of once you caught leprosy. God allowed that. That must be your wicked person and you're being punished by God. And that is un unfortunate uh, wrong thinking. Jewish custom said that you should not even greet a leper. And you had to say, again, six feet away from the leper. And one rabbi bragged that he would not even eat if he knew a leper was anywhere near a street that was selling food. He was going to keep that distance. And they would go to the length of picking up stones and stoning a leper just to keep them away and keep them as far away as possible. But Jesus, how did he treat lepers? Jesus was different. Jesus loved lepers. He touched them. He healed them. And when they had no hope at all, he embraced them. We see that. You can go back to Matthew chapter 8, 1 through 4, and Luke 17, 11 through 19. Now, when we take a look at verses 47 through 49, we see there were all this discussion around the leprosy in a garment. And again, the garment has leprosy plague in it, whether it was woolen garment or linen garment or if it was leather or any of these things. All of this had to be thrown away or cleansed or washed. They just couldn't hold on to any garments in their lives that would cause recontamination or be a, a vehicle used to spread through the, through the camp. 
In the Old Testament times, we see the term leprosy had a broad definition and could mean mold or fungi as well in the language. And many believe that it could include that because they would have some of those challenges being in the camp. But the priest had to make careful determination to see the garment as well. Not only did they have to check the body of that guy from top to bottom, but they also had to take a look at the garment and see how contagious this disease is on the garments and issues or problems and had to deal with it properly. Now in chapter 14, verses 1 through 9, we see now the rituals or the steps that need to be taken to cleansing of a leper and the sacrifice for that, especially the first seven days of the ritual. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall examine him, and indeed, if the leprosy is healed, if in the leper, then the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed two living and clean birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. The priest shall command that the one of the birds be killed in the earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall take it and the cedar wood and the scarlet, the blood is a representation of blood, and the hyssop, and dip them and in the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from the leprosy and shall pronounce him clean. And shall let the living bird loose in the open field. He who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, wash himself with water, that he may be clean. And after that he shall come into the camp and shall stay outside his tent seven days. So he still couldn't go in the camp in the tent with his family. But on the seventh day he shall shave all his hair. All the hair off his head, in his beard, in his eyebrows, all he's hairless. Woo. All his hair shall be shaved off, and he shall wash his clothes, wash his body in water, and he shall be clean. Now see the applications here of some of the key things, especially when we're talking about two birds, one being sacrificed and the blood being sprinkled on the other. The second, the cedar wood, the scarlet. The blood and the hyssop. Why? Because some of you are already drawing the conclusion and how that links to Jesus Christ himself. And that is truly a picture here in this ceremonial cleansing and how they were to go about this. It was the fact that the picture of Jesus' death and the spiritual application, a heavenly being, being the bird, bird from the heavens, dies in an earthen vessel while remaining clean because of the running water. Running water is this Holy Spirit that we see. The death of the bird is associated with the blood in the water and the blood is connected with what? With life. And then applied to the one cleansed. That's the living bird. The cedar wood is a connection to the cross. 
Some commentators say that Jesus was more than likely on the a cedar cross made of, I should wood made of cedar cross when he got sacrificed. I can't, I, I don't know if I have a sway to or fro. It's, uh, either way, it doesn't matter to me. It's a cross. I don't know what it was made of. It's not clear in the scripture. But some people, many commentators think that. It's symbolic. But the symbolic reference here in the scripture, in the Old Testament, uses cedar wood in connection to what we're seeing in regards to the Messiah dying on the cross. The other connection is hyssop. Why is that important? Because Jesus was offered drink from hyssop from the branch of that hyssop on the cross. We see that in Matthew 27, verse 48. We also see David, King David, was also purged me with hyssop. Remember, from his sin, purge me from the hyssop, from the, my condition I'm in. We see that Psalm 51.7. We also see that he admitted that he was a, as bad as a leper. So you see the connection there. We also see that the Israelites were to apply the blood on the doorposts using the hyssop on the doorpost with the blood during Passover. Again, you see these patterns in the scripture. That's why when you study, you see hyssop. Look and see where hyssop is applied across all the scripture. You see things in regards to wood and other things. See the connections that God makes in regards to Jesus on the cross and how he died. But if this guy was supposed to shave everything, shave off all your all the hair off from their head to your toes, man. It was everything. It's a sacrificial ceremony with the birds and the cleansing of the leper had to wash their clothes and shave off all their hair. And this started all over again. It was just like if you're a brand new baby starting a new life. We're born again. When you've been cleansed, you are born again and you're a baby Christian starting fresh and new right from the beginning. That is the symbolic meaning here through it all. I think that's a wonderful thing if you think about that. Imagine you were diagnosed with leprosy. You were healed, you've been cleansed, and now you're being restored. You're now you do not want to continue your new life back in the camp, in your family, in fellowship, back with the believers there, uh, the Israelites. You want to go back. Do you want to be remembered as you walk into the tabernacle or around the camp? There's the old post le uh, leopard. Oh, there he used to be a leopard. Oh, uh, hi, my name's Corey, and I was a leopard at one point. No, you don't want to do that. You want to start fresh. You want to say, no, I'm not a leopard. That was my past. That is not who I am today. Are you with me? I always encourage you as a brother and a, and a sister, if you have a tag on you, you were an alcoholic, you were a drug addict, you were this or you were that, that is no longer you as a believer. You have been cleansed. We don't go symbolically and shave yourself from the head, top of your head down to your toes so that you can be, feel like symbolically you are a brand new baby and born again. But more importantly, spiritually within, you are born again. You're as white as snow. There is no sin. Are you with me? You've been justified. God looks at you and doesn't see a sinner. 
Are you with me? You have a new life. Move on, my brothers and sisters. Stop living in the past. You've been cleansed. You've been restored. Live for Christ. And live it with such joy and peace that comes from God. That's what they dealt with. Because as a leopard, you realize you had a death sentence. And now you're alive. And you're going to live and you've been restored, cleansed and restored, and you're back into fellowship. How beautiful that is for that person who has. Verses 10 through 20, on the eighth day, he shall take two male lambs without blemish, one ewe lamb in the first year without blemish, three-tenths of an ephod of flour, um, fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, and one log of, of oil. Verse 11, then the priest who makes him clean shall present the man who is to be made clean and those things before the Lord and at the door of the tabernacle meeting so that the entire camp, the entire Israelites will see this man is declared clean. He's no longer identified being a leopard. How beautiful and freeing that must be for that person who would have been cleansed. The sacrificial rituals, how important is that the atonement, the purification, it began on that eighth day when the priest presented the cured, cleansed person with his offerings to the Lord. What a beautiful moment. And now what's interesting is a cleansed leper had a special calling on his life, a special anointing on his life. And one could not go through such a ritual as this and not be changed. Remember, the only people that receive this kind of anointing by a priest that we see in verses 10 through 20 was just the priest. Or the king. Or a prophet. These are the only special things that God allowed this kind of anointing with oil. Was only on the king, the prophet, and the priest, and the leper. The lowest of lowest positions have been cleansed, has been restored, and now been lifted up and on a position of of anointing of the oil from God. That's a beautiful story of God's grace and mercy, don't you think? Do you realize the same thing has happened for us? We're a leper. And our great physician diagnosed us, treated us, cleansed us, restored us, and then filled us with the anointing oil of the Holy Spirit, giving us eternal life, we have a calling in our lives to now go out and be about our Father's business. Amen? What a beautiful picture that we see here. We see in verses 21 through 23, we see those are just the provisions for the poor to fulfill the ritual for the cleansing of the leper. 
verses 33 through uh, 42 is just the diagnosis of the leprosy in a house. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When you have come into the land of Canaan, which I have given you as, as a possession, and I put the leprous plague in a house in the land of your position, possession, he who owns the house comes and tells the priest, saying, It seems to me that there is some plague in the house. Then the priest shall command them to empty the house before the priest goes into it to examine the plague, that all of is in the house may not be made unclean, and afterward the priest shall go in to examine the house. So we see that there's instructions regarding leprosy and garments, obviously in chapter 13, but we also see the, a broad definition of uh, leprosy that can include fungus and mold that may have gotten into the household infestation, that instructions how they were to deal with it and get that out of the house without having completely destroy the house, uh, especially with those at the very end of the verse uh, 42 in regards to mortar and plaster type homes and stones. Verses 43 through 53, we see the cleansing of the house in infestation with leprosy. It says, now that the plague comes back and breaks out in the house, after he has taken away the stones, after he has scraped the house, and after it is plastered, and the priest shall come and look. And indeed, again, he has to clean up his house, take care of it, and then the priests have to come back in and make sure there is no more leprosy growing on the wall. There is no more mold or fungus growing on the wall. And uh, if not, you see down there, he says, he shall break down the house, its stones, its timber, and all the plaster. If it's not able to be taken care of, that house has to come down. And then 54 through 57 is just a summation of the laws of leprosy. Now, we'll take a little more time here. We'll take verse, or chapter 15. We see verses 1 through 5. This is dealing with the laws concerning bodily discharges. We see the first discharge that's going to be dealt with is regarding a discharge from a man. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. And this shall be his uncleanliness in regards to his discharge, whether his body runs with his discharge or his body is stopped up by his discharge, meaning he's probably got really bad diarrhea, more than likely is what they're talking about here, or some blood issue coming out. He has some intestine issues. And everything on which he sits shall be unclean. And whoever touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And he who sits on anything on which he who has the discharge shall sat on shall wash his clothes and bathe his in water and be clean I mean be unclean until evening so as we go through here you can see if you touch the body if you sat on a saddle you name it all the way down through here they had to be clean clean it clean it clean it clean it clean it clean it do not let things get dirty it would be cause some major problems the idea is that some obviously abnormal genital discharge is coming off of that man for whatever reason could be gonorrhea it could be all these kinds of issues taking place. It had some type of disease that was going to be a problem for people if they're going to touch it or get in contact with it or sit down in a saddle because of it. Whatever it is, that had to be dealt with regards to that man having a problem. 
Now in verses 16 through 18, it says, If any man has an emission of semen, then he shall wash all his body in water and be unclean until evening. Any garment and any leather on which there is semen, he shall be washed with water and be unclean until evening. Also, also, no key word transition, when a woman lies with a man and there is an emission of semen, they shall bathe in water and be unclean until evening. So without a woman involved, with a woman involved, either way, water, washing, cleanse, garments, everything, and unclean until evening. So when a man discharged semen, either accidentally or in sex, he had to cleanse himself and respect a brief time of ceremonial impurity until after the evening. In the case of emission of semen, both the man and his wife needed to ceremonially cleanse themselves and respect a brief time of ceremonial impurity according to the commands of God. Verses 19 through 24 of chapter 15, we talk about discharges from a woman. It says, if a woman has a discharge and the discharge from her body is blood, she shall be set apart seven days. And whoever touches her shall be unclean until evening. Everything that she lies on during her impurity shall be unclean. Also everything that she sits on shall be unclean. And whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And whoever touches anything that she sat on shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. If anything is on her bed or on anything on which she sits, when he touches it, he shall be unclean until evening. And if any man lies with her at all so that she, that her impurity is on him she shall be unclean seven days as well and every bed on which she he lies shall be unclean pretty straightforward verses 25 through 30 if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days other than at the time of her ceremony impurity or if it runs beyond her unusual time of impurity, all the days of her unclean discharge shall be as the days of her customary impurity. She shall be unclean every bed on which she lies. Ever again, discharge, whoever touches it, anyone comes near it. Again, there's going to be a sacrifice. Now, those are important things because if she had her menstruation uh, cycle seven days, if for some reason it goes beyond the seven days, she has to be very careful of where she is and make sure things stays clean. And she needs to make sure people know what they come near her or touch anything she touches. It could actually somehow she, um, if she starts bleeding while having a, um, a sexual relationship with her husband, he becomes unpure and he has to wait for seven days. So these things, they're very clear to them of what they can or cannot do when it comes to bodily discharges from the human body. And finally, verses 31 through 33, we see a summation of the laws of this bodily discharge. And we can see that thus you shall separate the children of Israel from their uncleanliness, lest they die in their uncleanliness when they defile my tabernacle that is among them. 
That's a key phrase right there. This is the law for one who has a discharge and for him who emits semen and is unclean thereby for her who is indisposed because of her customary impurity and for one who has a discharge, either man or woman, and for him who lies with her who is unclean. So none of these discharges made a man or a woman Sinful. That, let me make that statement. Just because he had emission doesn't make him sinful. Just because she has her impurity each month doesn't make her in, in sinful. Just because of the fact that they touched the bed and, 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 uh, and, and got defiled did not make him sinful. Only ceremonially unclean. That means you could not go to the tabernacle. You could not just go dwell and hang out and have a a potluck with your neighbors. You couldn't go do these things. You had to make sure you stayed clean because God knew that there could be transmission of diseases and cause problems within the family and the camp or you could, it had to be, make sure you stay clean. This did not promote Hygiene in the ancient Israel, yet discharges of semen and menstruation where it is regarded not because they were anything inherently wrong with them, but because the two are connected with the symbols of life and redemption. Blood and seed. And then notice there, like I mentioned earlier, that they will not defile my tabernacle that is among them. This made an obvious separation between sex and the worship of God. Why? Because they were coming out of a pagan world. They were going into a pagan country or the promised land where people found that it was okay with their gods to have worshiping mixed and mingled with having sex with the prostitutes that were at those temples that the, these false gods had. And God said, no, those are, you cannot mix this, 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 this sexual relationship with a coming and worshiping me in some form of, of worship within the, within the tabernacle. That cannot happen. Now, in this modern world that we live today, we're like, well, of course. Of course we wouldn't have sex within the church as a form of worship. Of course we wouldn't do that. But in these days, remember what they're teaching here. They were dealing with sexual temple prostitutes and and God did not want this association with his worship. You come to worship me. You don't come worship the flesh. You don't come and worship in the flesh, let alone worship the flesh, when you come and you sit and you worship God. The worst thing you can do is come and worship God and get into the flesh and worship in the flesh. That is not what God wants us to do. We want to completely give our hearts over to God and worship Him and Him alone. And want nothing of our flesh involved with it. And I'll finalize here with some New Testament scriptures for you to ponder on. 
Because it's important for us to regard these laws of cleanliness in the New Testament from that perspective. Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 9, Jesus criticized the Pharisees for their overemphasis on ceremonial cleanliness and their lack of regard for internal cleanliness, if you remember. These laws were meant to have both hygienic reasons for the people, but also spiritual application because they were never intended as a way to be, get right with God. It was a change. It was a heart. It was a mind. It's an attitude. How you come and worship God. You just couldn't be unclean and just come worship God however you want to. Acts chapter 15. The early Christian community properly discerned the work and the will of God in the new covenant. That under the new covenant that the believers was not bound to these laws of ritual purity. But one could be a follower of Jesus without the ritual conformity to the Mosaic law. That had to be dealt with. And you can go back and read Acts 15. You are not to have to be circumcised. You don't have to keep the Mosaic laws and rituals. All of that has been settled in the life and death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Finished. Done. You come to Jesus You've been forgiven, you've been cleansed, you've been restored. You do not have to do religious things to make you right with God. You don't do religious things to somehow earn or get God's more of God's love. You have been forgiven, you've been cleansed, you have been restored. God loves you. The work was finished by Jesus. It's complete. We get to rest in that finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And that is called grace. But yet we need to remember that spiritual cleanliness in worship is important to today as well. We must remember that Jesus is the one who makes us clean and fit for fellowship. Who allows us to come into boldly into his throne to worship him? Hello? Jesus and Jesus alone makes the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by, through me, right? A relationship with me. He makes that way for us to have fellowship with God, atonement. Fellowship with his people. John 15, 3. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. What does that mean? That means as we read and hear the word of God, we are being cleansed. We are being cleansed. Restored. Let me say that one more time out of John 15, 3. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. If you are a sheep and you fell in the mud, come 
Hear the word of God cleanse and restore you from falling into that mud and get out of it quickly. We also see in 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, and I'll end it here truly with this verse, regarding our cleanliness is complete as we abide in Jesus. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceived ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleansing and restored. Amen.